Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning Roe v. Wade and Casey, many pro-life advocates have been invigorated with new energy and a renewed sense of both purpose and mission. But what does the post-Dobbs world look like, particularly with regard to promoting a pro-life culture in our nation? What does it mean for the Catholic Church's efforts both to end abortion and to support women and families who face unplanned and challenging pregnancies? And how do these efforts play out in different geographical regions of our country? Joining me today to discuss these and other issues are Allison Ledoux, Director of the Respect Life Office for the Diocese of Worcester, Massachusetts, and Father Peter Asik, Director of the Office of Family Life for the Diocese of Charlotte, North Carolina. Allison and Father Peter, welcome to Bioethics on Air. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be here. Wonderful having you. So you are both new guests on our podcast, and our listeners know that when we bring new guests on our podcast, we ask you to briefly tell us a bit about your background, your present position, and today your responsibilities in this position. So Allison, I'd like to start off with you if we could. Okay. I have worked for the Diocese of Worcester, Massachusetts since 2002. Uh, the time just flies by. Um, the director of the Respect Life Office, which also includes our diocesan project, Rachel Ministry. And uh, my second hat is I also serve as the director of the Office of Marriage and Family. Um, I received my certification from the uh, National Catholic Bioethics Center in 2007, and I'm currently enrolled in the master's program at Holy Apostles uh, College and Seminary, um, pursuing the bioethics concentration. Um, and I mention this because the relationship our diocese has had with the NCBC has been absolutely invaluable to my work because we are dealing with moral issues on a daily basis. And we know that we can really uh, rely on the, the incredible resources that the N NCBC provides. So I'm a good cheerleader for, for the center, <laughs> but um, in, in terms of what we do they, as diocesan pro-life directors, and I'm sure Father Peter will be able to add to this, um, our main task is to implement the U.S. Bishop's Pastoral Plan for Pro-Life Activities, which is um, started as a document in the 1970s. It's been updated over the years, of course, but it's a wonderful guide for our work because um, it bases the Respect Life Ministry on four pillars, which are prayer, of course, always first in anything we do, uh, education, pastoral care, and public policy advocacy. So I can say that we are absolutely never bored in our work because there's always something interesting and, and different to do that that we deal with, and, and the Holy Spirit really, really guides the work. So we're working with parishes, Catholic schools, resources for clergy, individual callers. It, uh, we do training for parish leaders, um, give talks, you know, you name it. And uh, there's always something interesting to do. Yeah, it's never, ever boring. Yeah. <laughs> and I got I to give a shout out to Bishop McManus as well. Um, yes. Great friend of the NCBCs. I've, I've met him a couple of times, uh, had dinner with him a few times at our NCBC bishops workshops and stuff. He's doing wonderful work up there. Sure Plus, is. he's a Patriots fan, so that I got I got I got to get that in as well too. I'm fr being from Massachusetts, I am I am a Patriots fan. He's such a blessing to us and to the church, and he's just wonderful to work with. Yes, Thank Father you. Peter. Same question. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your background, your present position, and your responsibilities. Thanks a lot, Joe. Um, well, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Charlotte. I was ordained in 2017 for Charlotte. And uh, before before entering seminary and studying for the priesthood, I studied the sciences a little bit. I was in graduate school studying chemistry, actually, when I decided to uh, change course a little bit and and enter the priesthood. And so I've, I've always had a kind of an interest in bioethical questions as well as a, an interest in the pro-life movement. I started getting involved in pro-life work in an active way in college and in graduate school. And so that, that interest and that passion really um, developed simultaneously with the, the developing understanding that God was calling me to the priesthood. And so in, in, my, uh, in my studies for the priesthood and a little bit afterward, I was able to pursue 
um, studies in moral theology as well, and to specialize a little bit in that area, uh, which is, of course, very relevant to the pro-life movement. So last year, I became, um, well, simultaneously a pastor of a parish here in North Carolina and director of a new office in our diocese, the Office of Family Life. And uh, our bishop established this office to coordinate ministries relating to marriage, marriage preparation, and marriage enrichment, uh, natural family planning and theology of the body, as well as pro-life ministries. So our diocese had been engaged in these ministries before and had had people working on them. Um, but what the bishop decided to do is form a new structure to kind of bring them together and, and help them to mutually enrich one another. I'm sure Allison will will agree that they really do go together quite well, um, and there can be really fruitful collaboration in those areas. Um, so that's uh, that's my job here in the diocese, and we, in our office, we we coordinate and support ministries that are um, related to and are focusing on on these areas on marriage, NFP, theology, the body, and pro life. And I'm blessed to work with three um, very dedicated and talented program directors in our office who focus on each of these areas. And so for me, a typical day is, is helping them carry out the work that they do so well, uh, helping to organize conferences, uh, educational classes, for example, for marriage preparation or for um, natural family planning or theology of the body, helping to support parish uh, respect life um, ministries and those who are involved in that, as well as diocesan-wide initiatives. And just uh, talking with and, and networking with and helping to amplify the work that so many people in our diocese are doing related to, to marriage, family, or pro-life. So it's, a, as Allison said, it's a, it's a really interesting and enriching ministry. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I'm grateful to be involved in it. Yeah. I can tell you guys must be really bored with all the things that you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not bored. Definitely uh, not bored. Same thing here. Yeah. Same, same thing with the NCBC. You never know what's going to happen, but it's, it's never boring. I'll give you that. So before getting into specific um, programs and opportunities and challenges, I was wondering if you could tell us about the general reaction to the Dobbs decision in your location. So we're talking Worcester, Massachusetts, and we're talking Charlotte, North Carolina. So Allison, just overall general reactions to Dobbs in Massachusetts. Wow. Well, of course, the, the political climate here is uh, probably second to California and New York um, in terms Believe of- Believe me, I know. Yeah, you Believe know. me, I know. <laughs> so, um, but there's also a very, very strong pro-life presence, you know, among the faithful and many people of goodwill. Um, and so enduring that for, for many years and keep keeping on fighting the good fight, um, so to speak. So in the anticipation of Dobbs, you know, I can remember having a conversation with someone saying, I wonder how we're going to feel, you know, because we had that, that leak of the Supreme Court document and different things. And the day the decision was made, I always feel like when I, as I've been thinking about it, that's going to be one of those days, kind of like when we think about 9-11 and you remember where you were and what you were doing. I feel like the day of the Dobbs decision is going to be one of those historic moments in in the life of of the church yeah well where were you when that happened <laughs> i was uh i was at home working from home um because we have a summer schedule so we were closed on fridays so uh i remembered on that day it was 10 minutes to 10 and i said oh supreme court decisions <laughs> so i quick, it was the holy spirit i quickly turned on the uh the scotus blog and sure enough within 10 minutes there it was. So the whole day, you know, change. It, we were we were really rejoicing. So we did a lot of work with our our communications ministry. We were all working hard on our day off, and it was a joy to do so for sure. Um, but we were getting the word out. I was in conversation with some of the other um, pro life directors in neighboring dioceses, and we we get together frequently anyway. So we were we were facetiming. Everybody was like jumping up and down, and practically in their offices. Um, because it was it was just amazing that it happened, even though we were kind of expecting it, um, just to see that the, the joy. And I think the things that that one of the first things I thought of was how all these people all over the country for fifty years have been laboring in the trenches, you know. Um, and how often have we we wondered, you know, will we ever see the end of Roe in our lifetime? And in the day came 
And so I just think of all those people that have worked so hard, some of whom have, you know, of course, you know, gone to their eternal reward and must be rejoicing from the communion of saints and we're praying for this day, you know, and then some of us here have gotten to see that. So, so that was the joy. And I think, I think we can rejoice in this um, because at the same time, we're also overwhelmed by the, the newness of, wow, we've got a lot of work to do. We exactly. thought, we, you yeah. know, we were yeah. doing that before, but we're kind of, um, I've been talking with some other area directors too. And, and it's like, we're trying to kind of discern what's the approach we're taking and how do we do things a little bit differently to reach more people? Because in the culture, people are really reacting to this news. So, you know, we're kind of looking to see what opportunities has God sending our way and how can we better assist people at, from people in ministry to the people in the trenches to people in, you know, in crisis that, that we have been ministering through for 50 years anyway, but yeah. how do we do this um, in this post row world? Yeah. yeah. And we'll talk more about that as this interview goes forward. Father Peter, same question for you, general reactions to Dobbs in the Charlotte, North Carolina area and, a, and an off script question. Where were you when you heard about Dobbs? <laughs> Well, I, I know exactly where I was when I heard about Dobbs. I was on supremecourt.gov clicking refresh every 10 seconds. <laughs> so obviously there was a lot of awareness uh, of this effort. You know, I, I've heard people who were there when Roe was handed down talking about how it sort of came by surprise, talking about them opening the newspaper one morning and seeing this and just saying, you know, not being able to believe it. Um, but this was something that was very anticipated and so and worked for, as Allison said, for many years. And so it was it was very poignant. Um, you know, it was very poignant. And in particular in our diocese, over the months between the oral arguments and the decision, we had engaged in a um, an organized effort of prayer um, where we had invited parishes to um, hold public prayer, to hold a mass or a holy hour the day of the oral arguments. And again, uh, six months later. And um, we also invited people to wear a white rose on their clothing on that day wow. um, as they go about to kind of be a witness, you know, and when people ask about the rose to share, you know, their pro-life beliefs and their their hope for, um, you know, a good outcome in this decision. Um, so we had been focused on prayer. We've been focused on, you know, trying to be that, that peaceful uh, witness to pro-life and so it was very poignant to see um, the decision come down um, in this very, with this very good result. Um, and there was a sense of gratitude uh, to God, you know, a sense that God um, intervened, you know, God answered prayer. Yeah. And also a sense of gratitude to all those people who have been working for this for so many years, because it truly has been an effort of so many. Um, and in particular, you know, I think we can have gratitude to all those who in the last few years have been working very hard at the state level um, to pass laws that protect human life, that uphold the dignity of the unborn child and the dignity of the mother. Um, because I think it's their efforts have been very instrumental in the, in the near term in leading to this result and really giving credibility to, um, to the, the seriousness of the pro-life commitments in this country. Yeah, um, interesting. Also, there is, there is a sense of being in a new um, a new world and a little bit it being a little bit surreal, you know, because we're all used to Roe v. Wade being just one of the presuppositions of any discussion uh, <laughs> right, of abortion yeah. or pro-life issues. And now to have that overturned, um, there is there is a sense of newness, um, new opportunities, of course, but also new challenges. North Carolina is a battleground state. So we're not one of the states that is considered the most pro-life, but also not one of the states that's considered uh, you know, the farthest in the other direction. Uh, it is a battleground. It is split. We have people on both sides of the issue here. And in the, the time, especially between the leak of the draft opinion and the decision, we saw, you know, demonstrations um, uh, in support of abortion going on um, and increased, uh, increased attention to that. Um, and so we do have a sense here of, of needing to show up and, and support the pro-life uh, position and, and try to advance that. But knowing we're going to be dealing with people who disagree with us, knowing we're also uh, probably going to become in the near term here in North Carolina, an abortion destination state where people travel from other states to seek abortions, which is actually something we've seen in the pro-life movement here already. Um, it's kind of already been a reality for various reasons. 
Um, so that's that's a challenge, and, and it's sad to think that abortion, probably in the near term, will increase in this state. Um, but it's also a call to action. Um, you know, in B- Bishop Jugas, uh, in issuing a statement on the day of the decision, um, expressed gratitude for the decision, um, but encouraged us, um, reminded us that our work to protect all human life uh, from conception to natural death is is far from over, and we need to continue that work that we have been engaged in in supporting um, mothers and families. And uh, and con- as we continue to advocate for laws that protect human life, yeah, I, I wanted to actually ask you a quick follow up on that. And and Father Peter, you sort of talked about already. Uh, what has been the role, uh, or what has been the reaction of Catholics, and in particular your bishop? So Allison, in your in your case, the uh, the reaction of the aforementioned uh, Bishop McManus and Father Peter for Bishop Jugas uh, in in Charlotte. What how have, how has their reactions been? So that was one of the first things that we did, you know, through our communications office was to issue the bishop's statement and get that out there widely. Um, Chris, you know, it was, we have the blessing of our bishop being a moral theologian and very, very dedicated to the cause of life. Um, so he said some interesting things in his statement that that struck me and I thought were so appropriate to the situation. You know, did some reflecting on um, the fact that the abortion question now reverts to the states. And he discussed the um, how we're a country who's, in, uh, just to quote from his something he said, he said, we live in a country whose foundational principle is freedom and justice for all. And that must not exclude the most vulnerable, particularly the child in the womb and, and their mothers. And, um, you know, and that's important. And he, he posed the question, you know, do we want to be known as people who are pro-life or pro-death? And and I think that gives serious reflection and can really inspire a renewal of, of commitment. Um, and the other thing that, that I was struck by in, in his statement was um, that he said, only the virtue of charity can vanquish evil. And I said, wow, what good words to, to live by and be inspired by as we go forward and face the challenges that lie ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Great words. As you were speaking, I was thinking, um, we've had Charlie Camosi on the podcast a couple of times and he speaks about prenatal justice. Mm. And I really like that term. Um, yeah. and that that's, it's really what Bishop McManus was, was talking about, right. um, earlier as, you know, as you were speaking, Father Peter, um, Bishop Jugas, his response. His response uh, was really to express gratitude for this decision and to call us to further action, especially emphasizing the need to support uh, to support mothers in need. Uh, Bishop Jugas has asked us prior to the the Dobbs decision. Uh, Bishop Jugas has encouraged and, and called on all of our parishes to implement the Walking with Moms in Need program. Um, so we have been very focused on trying to get that started, and we, it's been embraced by by parishes in our diocese, but trying to continue to expand it. Um, and to to make sure that we're showing up to do that work, right. work that we we have been involved in, uh, but work that needs to continue and intensify. And of course, there is that reality that the the abortion question isn't settled in our country. It's returned to the states. It's returned to the democratic process and the people's elected representatives, uh, which is which is an opportunity, of course, but it's not a done deal yet. Right. Um, so right. we have to we have to be there to make the case for life. Uh, to make the case for embracing both mothers and children in our law and in our culture. And uh, we as Catholics, you know, with a um, rooted in a, a social teaching that's based on fundamental human dignity, um, are well positioned to to contribute um, to that effort. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, Father Peter, the uh, USCCB's Walking with Moms in Need program, and it's a great segue into the next question, which basically is, is what, are your, what is your diocese doing and what pro-life opportunities do you envision for it in the future as a result of Dobbs? And certainly the Walking with Moms in Need program is part of that. So, Allison, what's the Diocese of Worcester doing and what opportunities do you envision for it moving forward? I think one one thing that's that's been in place, which is a great blessing, is that for many years, many of our parishes have been very dedicated to supporting the local crisis pregnancy centers and maternity homes. So, um, and that's, that's great because these, these places that are doing such incredible service for women and 
building a culture of life are largely staffed by volunteers. So they rely on the help and support of parishes and, and so forth. So I think this gives us now an opportunity to really renew and increase those efforts um, because they're going to be very, having heard about you know the Dobbs decision and all the work that we have to do, we need to focus on, on this area in a special way, particularly at the parish level. And I think we can expand our reach to, you know, who are the people right within your own parish community? Who are the, the neighbors of your parishioners? Helping people to be more in tune with, uh, you know, just the world around them and things they hear about. Because as, as Catholics, we serve all people. And so it's also an opportunity to kind of put our faith into action, to really be witnesses of the faith. Um, the Catholic Church has been such a leader in service to women in crisis, to the poor, to you know all kinds of needs. I mean, it's such a hallmark of of what we do. But we're also very quiet about it. These you know these things are it's just automatic, and we do it. And I think a lot of the secular world doesn't realize how much the church does, how much, because there's so much rhetoric out there. And, and we do walk with families after the birth of their, their child. We help them throughout the entire lifespan, you know? And, um, and so I think we need to highlight that. We're probably not very good at marketing ourselves, um, <laughs> you know, to put it that way. But, uh, but I think we need to raise that awareness and um, and really help people to get more involved. I think people that might have been shy about it before or just kind of wasn't on their radar, they might be thinking about this more. And, and I think we can um, really, you know, help with that opportunity to encourage more involvement, more service, because people do like to do for others. And I think that can draw people deeper into their faith. And I think that's what's really important um, as we're beginning in the church in the United States, this period of Eucharistic revival, how deeply that ties in with, with charity, you know, with our love of neighbor. So I think, um, you know, God brings all these things together in mysterious ways, but I think to emphasize now and in the months ahead, the importance of, ramping up our, our care for, for women and, um, you know, showing that there is a better way than what the world is telling you, you know, yeah. uh, and that we can help. Yeah. And Allison and, and, and Father Peter as well, I don't, I'm trying to remember the number. Is it the number of pro-life uh, support centers versus abortion centers? It's something like, is it, th there's three times more pro-life um, pregnancy centers than there are abortion centers or five times. It, it, I can't remember the number in our country. But, and the number is actually going to get bigger because there's abortion centers closing around the country. So, yeah. I, I have a, yeah, kind of a good story about that. I, in the lead up to the Dobbs decision, at one point I was having a discussion with some other people in the diocese about, well, how many pregnancy resource centers are out there in our diocese? And I threw out an, a guess, basically. I said, well, maybe 10 to 20 in our in our diocese. And actually the pro-life director who works in my office said, no, no, it's almost a hundred in the state. <laughs> wow. So even, and I'm someone who, who, you know, is involved in the pro-life movement, follows the pro-life movement. I, I'm aware You're of the head of the centers, office. Right? I'm the head of the office. Out. Exactly. <laughs> and my, my estimate was, was way under, um, you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe it's somewhere around 3000 pregnancy resource centers in the country. I think I've seen that number. I think so. Um, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but but it's something like that. And I think that's such a testament to the fact that the pro-life movement has been showing up for moms in need and has developed a culture um, where that has given a lot of emphasis. And we're blessed here in the Diocese of Charlotte, like in many other places, to have a number of, of wonderful um, PRCs, um, often run by non-Catholic Christians, but people who we can really collaborate with in supporting moms, our, our Knights of Columbus councils raise thousands of dollars uh, for these centers that have paid for ultrasounds, that have paid for uh, other resources and, and you know, improvements, their facilities that they need. Um, so we really have a, a great relationship there and, and a, a, a lot of work is being done. Um, we're also, we also have some uh, Catholic initiatives in the diocese like Miravia, 
um, which is a residential center for um, pregnant moms. And they can stay there, I believe it's at least a year after childbirth. Um, and it's for moms in particular who are in school, who are studying. They can be involved in any, any academic program, um, th- either online or in person, but it's a place where that, for them to live, where they can be cared for during pregnancy and childbirth and infancy, and, um, and where they're able to continue to pursue their educational goals. Um, so that's a, that's a program here in Charlotte, in Miravia, it's called, that we're, we're very proud of and the type of thing um, that, that we're involved in. And so we got to continue that. And I think Walking with Moms in Need is a great program for the moment. I think it's providential that it was, it was proposed and developed by the USCCB, you know, before the Dobbs case, before anybody knew about the Dobbs case, right? Um, but it's really, it's a call to all parishes to become, um, you know, places that, that do walk with moms in need without a parish becoming a, a PRC, um, becoming a place where a mother, pregnant mother, a parenting mother, knows that she's going to be supported, knows that she's going to meet people who who know where to find other resources um, and who are willing to make that connection and who are willing to walk with that pers- with that mom in friendship, you know, in support, just going out to get coffee, you know, just calling to check in on her. Um, this is the work we want to do. This is the work we have been doing. And it's the work that uh, we need to increase. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm excited to see um, how Walking with Moms and how it has flourished um, at some parishes in our diocese. And I'm excited to see it flourish even more. I think we need to we need to be experts in where the resources are for moms and experts at connecting them, uh, connecting moms with those resources. And we need to 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 be where the moms are, to 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 find the moms to to connect with them. And one one important way to do that is sidewalk counseling. Um, and we have um, some great Catholic sidewalk counselors in our diocese. Um, I've been involved with uh, the Charlotte chapter Sidewalk Advocates for Life, uh, which is a great national um, sidewalk counseling organization that really brings um, uh, training and an ethos of, of how to be peaceful, prayerful, and law-abiding when you're out there on the sidewalk, how to be woman-focused. Um, you know, we're not there to protest or make a point. We're there to uh, be a helping hand to those moms and fathers who are in real crisis. And that's an important uh important effort in the pro-life movement to, to meet those moms um, so that we can connect them to those life-affirming resources. I also think pro-life apologetics is huge. Mm-hmm. And podcasts like the NCBC um, are really helpful with that, where you bring on you know experts um, to talk about current issues, current topics. I'm also a big fan of groups like the Equal Rights Institute, um, uh, Josh Brom, who's done a lot of good work over the years in pro-life apologetics, um, teaching people to to move from from pro-life sentiment to pro-life conviction. You know, from having that gut sense that it's wrong to kill a baby in the womb, which is of course right on, to be able to articulate that in a way that is principled, a way that's consistent, a way that's persuasive to people who are coming at it from a different um, perspective. And so I think it's important we focus on educating people within our parishes, within our Catholic schools, within youth ministry programs, faith formation, um, you know, at all levels and all ages to understand the pro-life position in a principled way um, and to be able to articulate that. Yeah. Very, very well said. So lots of good activities going on, both in Worcester and in Charlotte and around the country. But I think we always have to keep in mind that women are still having abortions. And so next question goes to that. How is your diocese responding to women who have had abortions and what resources do you offer to them? So Allison, if we could start with you in Worcester. Well, um, yes, that is such an important ministry. And for listeners that might not be aware um, of what Project Rachel is, it's a diocesan-based ministry that's been around since the 1980s active in nearly every diocese in the country. And it's the church's ministry of healing and reconciliation to those who've been wounded by a past abortion. We know from 50 years of legal abortion and so many women that come to Project Rachel, the testimonies of deep pain and sorrow and woundedness uh, that, that this decision has caused them that they come back and, you know, you've got the world saying abortion is good for you, but these women who've been through it say are coming back saying, 
my abortion was not good for me, you know, and that is, you know, for the church to be here for them, to accompany them through healing is so important. And it's a very, very privileged place to be, to walk with a woman who is in that kind of pain and wants to heal, who is longing for the mercy of God. And um, Project Rachel gives that opportunity through, it can work a little bit differently in each diocese, depending on the the resources and personnel available. But the the ministry is coordinated through the U.S. Bishops uh, Pro-Life Secretariat, and um, they provide training to diocesan directors and and things like that. Um, That's very helpful so that the the ministry is, is consistent, that it's Deep, it's a deeply spiritual healing. So that's really where the answer is. But it's also an integrated approach to healing where you have many pieces, many layers, because each woman is individual. So there may be in the network um, licensed counselors, therapists, um, pastoral care workers who can really accompany women, um, spiritual directors, because as you know, women go through that healing process, they're drawn closer to their faith. And then when they've kind of reached a point of, you know, really um, effective healing, that a spiritual, getting into spiritual direction is another way to really stay close to the Lord and, and say, okay, God's got a plan for my life. And, and how do I discern that and live that out? Um, which is, that's a beautiful blossoming thing. But most importantly, the key component to, to Project Rachel is the role of the priest. For, uh, we serve anyone regardless of religious affiliation, but for Catholic women and men who come to, to Project Rachel Ministry, the role of the priest is the most important thing because um, there's an opportunity there for sacramental reconciliation. And that's a message that uh, th- those who've been so deeply wounded have been longing to hear. So I can't say enough about how important that is, that the access to the sacraments. So. Um, it's just, it's just incredible. Some dioceses have the opportunity to put some of that in a retreat setting. Also, we ha- always make sure that we have special priests that we can refer to when a woman, a woman might call the helpline, for example, and be seeking reconciliation. And you can kind of discreetly refer to a, a priest who has the heart for this ministry in a special way. So there are all kinds of ways this can be approached. And, and sometimes people find us online you know, and they're looking for appealing from abortion. Um, one of the best ways to advertise, advertise for lack of a better word, um, or raise awareness, I guess I should say, of this ministry is the good old parish bulletin. So I, that's where we hear the most and, and seems to be pretty common across the country that a woman might, it's safe to pick up a bulletin. You're not being singled out by, you know, a piece of literature because that, that that fear is real. That trauma is real. I don't want anybody to know is, you know, what I hear a lot from women. So, but they'll take the parish bulletin. Everybody takes a parish bulletin. It's safe to do so. And so often I've heard they've had that, held that bulletin at the bottom of their purse or in the back of a bureau drawer for three months, six months, a year. And then they see it again and they go, hmm. And then at whatever time the Holy Spirit decides they're ready. And it takes a lot of courage to make that call. Another way this works too is, is through the confessional. So priests in our diocese are aware of the Project Rachel ministry and that that um, people who have suffered from, from this and want to heal, they can benefit in addition to that they might just approach the subject in confession. They receive absolution, that forgiveness is is there for them. Um, but they also have a lot of healing work to do and they need to process that with someone. So a priest might refer a woman to call the, the helpline and, and, um, and then we can accompany them that way. So uh, many ways that this can, can work and it's carried out differently in different dioceses, but always with that core piece of the sacrament of reconciliation and an integrated approach to healing. Yeah. We did a, uh, a podcast, listeners may remember, earlier this year, earlier in 2022. It's uh, episode 84. It's called Project Rachel Ministry. And we did it with Mary McCluskey, from, who runs Perfect. the program from the USCCB. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll, I'll link that to the show notes. And Allison, if, I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, um, hopeafterabortion.com? Yes. Is that the, is that the website? Correct. And there's a diocesan locator on there. So 
wherever somebody is in the country, even if they're looking for help for a friend, they can point them in the right direction. And um, even if there are areas where they might not geographically have person-to-person access, they can reach someone by phone. And this, and what's beautiful about this too is that it's a highly confidential ministry. And so that helps mitigate some of that fear and shame that women initially may come with um, to know that this is safe. It's non-judgmental that, that um, you know, we're here to help. So. Yeah. Well stated. Father Peter, anything to add either on to Walking with Moms in Need or other programs that are offered for women who have suffered from abortion in the Diocese of Charlotte? Sure. I remember really clearly the first time I heard uh, the testimony of a post-abortive woman um, you know, in a pro-life context and how powerful that was and how much it convinced me that responding to abortion uh, in a really complete way means responding also to this wound. That has been left on those who have abortion in their history. And so it is such an important and vital ministry and one that, you know, we have, we're able to approach with so much hope because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. You know, as it says in the gospel of John, the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world, that the world might be saved through him. And we're able to, to offer that good news, you know, um, that what Jesus does is, is save us from sin, is heal us from sin. And that's true of abortion, just as it is for any other sin. So we, we in our diocese, in the Diocese of Charlotte, we offer the Rachel's Vineyard Program, which is a, a retreat-based program for healing from abortion. And so women and men who have abortion in their past can contact us um, through the Respect Life Program in the Office of Family Life um, and participate in one of these, um, these confidential retreats, which involve an experienced team. Um, in, in carrying out the program of healing, um, as well as the involvement of a priest um, for sacramental ministry in that context. And so we're grateful to be able to offer that both in English and Spanish. And it's something that we also would like to expand um, going forward. Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you this question, but I, 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 I know I mentioned in the, the podcast that we did with Mary McCluskey that I have a friend who's a priest in Cincinnati, my wife and I, um, and daughter and I used to live in Cincinnati and uh, a priest who was involved with Project Rachel Ministry. We were talking about it and he said, "It's he said, this is why I became a priest to offer sacramental reconciliation and other spiritual direction to women. Uh, and I assume men too, but I think he was talking mostly about women, but he said, it's just unbelievable uh, to be able to do this and the healing that takes place. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So for, if there are women or men out there who are who are victims of abortion and are looking for healing, uh, great programs that the both of you mentioned. So well stated. All right. So we've spoken about opportunities and resources, but I'm sure that you are both facing challenges in uh, doing pro-life work in your diocese. So Allison, starting with you, what challenges do you, well, do you envision uh, for pro-life work in your diocese or what challenges are you already facing uh, as a result of the Dobbs decision? One thing that, that I think has, because this is still relatively new as of the you know, the time that we're recording this podcast, um, very recent that, that the Dobbs, Dobbs decision was, um, is the in that, that immediate aftermath, all the vandalism of pregnancy centers across the country, it was really gut-wrenching when we found that two pregnancy centers in our area, local area, were vandalized one night. And it just really, I can... Just it's just such a violation, you know, to think that this is this kind of um, activity is going on, and it's tragic. And so that's created probably a little bit of fear. Um, and so we have to counter that fear, but also have an increased vigilance. You know, I know places are looking at, you know, now they have to look at increased security things like that. And that's, that's a real challenge because we didn't worry about that so much before. Um, and so just the culturally what's going on and the, the, um, the violent reaction in the secular world to this decision, we have to really pray about and, and take practical steps to be prudent in how we approach these things. So that's going to take a lot of prayer and 
discussion and working through, especially for the p- people that are involved in, in um, direct service in this way. Um, but also we have to remember that, you know, in the scriptures, 365 times, and whoever figured that out was a genius, um, it says, be not afraid, you know, and St. John Paul used to say that right. so often, right? Be yep. not afraid. So to have that holy courage, that virtue of holy courage, while at the same time exercising the virtue of prudence um, is, is going to be important. And so we, and we've known for, for decades, this is a spiritual battle that Absolutely. we're up against. It's yeah. as John Paul defined so clearly, right? The culture of life versus the culture of death. And um, I think we're seeing that, you know, full force right now. So I think that's, that's a challenge to how, how we, work through through that and um conquer fear and you know keep keep on intensifying our efforts to help because we can't let that slide because of fear either um so i think that this gives us also an opportunity because challenges always come with opportunities don't they um to really say you know we we see now what this standing for life has done this does this prayer, this perseverance, this care for our neighbor um, bears fruit, and you know it's you know, it's not often you get those little glimpses in life. So what a gift from God that we have seen this day, and so that hopefully will give more motivation, um, and that we can encourage people that this means something. That what you do and your prayers really do make a difference. We've seen it in our lifetime. And so we just have to kind of increase that as much as we can. Um, the efforts of public policy have to, you know, increase as well, because that's where a lot of this is, is taking place. And um, here in Massachusetts, just they put, they codified even worse abortion provisions. Um, and that is absolutely tragic, absolutely tragic. So we're going to have to be dealing with that. And when you've got, um, I, I think what concerns me is the hardness of heart that's there. Um, and it's, that's just something that only prayer can, can change and, and faithful witness uh, and reacting with love. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard. Um, but it can't stop us from doing what God is calling us to do either. Um, but it, it's, it makes me think of, um, I always go back to this in Gaudium et Spes. Um, I think it's number 36, but I'm not hundred percent sure, but I've often quoted it that, um, and I think, uh, John Paul was a large, largely one of the authors of that document. Right. And, um, it says without the creator, the creature would disappear when God is forgotten the creature itself grows unintelligible. And wow, that was written yep. in the 1960s. And look at us now. Yep. Um, so, and, and that's what we say so often when we're talking about, you know, all this, the state of the church, the state of the world, so much of our culture has forgotten God or hasn't known him. So how do we be at the core evangelists of the gospel, teach the gospel, proclaim the gospel? That's really kind of what's at the, the heart of this, that, that Christ is our life. Uh, so it's just so much to, you know, say you got to rely on God to bring this together and, and move hearts and um, move us in the right direction sure. so that we're doing as well. And just for our listeners, Gaudium et Spes is the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, a document from the Second Vatican Council. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, when we, when we lose God, we lose ourselves and just look at our culture. Very clear. Father Peter, same question, challenges facing um, Diocese of Charlotte in the wake of the Dobbs decision. Well, Allison, I think you put it so well talking about um, the need to overcome fear. And it, it strikes me that a lot of the, the opposition to pro-life laws, a lot of the opposition to the pro-life position is rooted in fear. Uh, a, a fear of what it will mean to welcome the unborn child. 
Um, it struck me, you know, a few years ago when the heartbeat bills started to come out in various states, uh, which are based on the scientific fact that the, the heart starts beating in the early weeks of pregnancy. And you would think. Not according co- to ACOG, though, Father. Oh, Peter. right. Oh, I, yeah. I think I listened to that yes. podcast here yes. about the, the Orwellian yes. language on yes, that. Yes, the Orwellian language. Um, yeah. uh, Dr. Chris Stroud did a great job tearing down ACOG's crazy right. language on abortion. Right. Sorry, but I, I, sorry. Just to, I just had to I just had to It's not a heart. It's just heart uh, cells, right? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's the uh, the sound you hear on an ultra the electronic pulses on an ultrasound, but it's not a right. heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, a, a healthy culture would would hear that information and be like, "Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> life is amazing. Uh, life in the womb is amazing." And yet the reaction from from some is is just this fear, this anger, and you know it makes you ask what what are we so afraid of? Why are we so afraid of an unborn child growing in the womb of a vulnerable child? Why are we so afraid of the beginning of our own life, the place where we all were? You know, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't make any sense when you start to think about it. Um, and you see, sadly, public officials in the wake of the Dobbs decision once again trying to spread fear. If pro-life laws are passed, something terrible will happen. Something terrible will happen to you or to, uh, you know, your your sisters, your daughters. Um, but that is just it's based on lies, and we don't have to we don't have to play that game. You know, um, we can love both mothers and their babies, including their babies in the womb. We can do that. I believe we can do that as a nation. Um, and so we don't want to get too caught up in in all the all the fear-mongering, which is what it is, frankly. Um, and we recognize that something very good happened here. Uh, it's like the clouds parted. You know, as Allison said, prayer really worked and, and work really worked, right? Um, and we have a great opportunity here to, uh, to, to build a different kind of culture. Um, but we have to, to stay focused on that. We have to, to stay confident um, in, in the goodness of the pro-life position that we can embrace both mother and child. We don't have to choose between them. We don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Um, so we need to, to show up and, and continue to spread that, that good news. And to counter uh, the, the pro-abortion narrative that is out there, the idea that pro-life laws put women in danger, the idea that abortion is necessary for the, the success or the participation of women in society, um, that's false. Both of those things are false. Um, and so we need to, to share the truth about that. And we need to, we really need to have, um, you know, a, a continued conversion to, to building a culture of really showing up for moms in need, you know, um, applying the, the example of Mother Teresa, who said, you know, if you can't care for your baby, if you don't want your baby, bring your baby to me and I will care for your baby. And I, I believe John Cardinal O'Connor, uh, you know, the late great Archbishop of New York, uh, used to say the same thing in the media. And we should all be saying that. You know, if you can't care for your baby, bring your baby to me, um, and and we will care. That's quite the commitment. I'd like to um, ask maybe just to kind of wrap up this section of the interview, and and Father Peter, we'll go back to you first. We'll change the order up a little bit. Uh, just wondering briefly, can you tell us, with everything that's been stated so far, how do you envision, um, or, or what is what is what is the future of the pro-life movement in Charlotte, in the Diocese of Charlotte, and really in North Carolina as a whole? What, what do you see looking forward? I see continue growing our efforts to support mom's need to bring about that, that cultural transformation where, where we're showing up um, and where we're saying, if, you, if you're having trouble caring for your child, uh, come to us. Bring your baby to me, the Mother Teresa invitation. Uh, we need to to, to be fully committed to that. Um, and then we need to have really a, a, a missionary transformation to the outside world, making sure that we're not just right on this issue, but that we're persuasive and credible to others and that we can convince them of the truth um, of the pro-life position, overcome those, those false narratives I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, in, in particular that um, pro-life laws are, are dangerous to mothers um, or that abortion is necessary for the dignity and the participation of women in society, um, those are those are two two narratives that we need to make sure that we're countering, um, and um, we have to show up for for public policy. You know, 
laws are, are not going to get passed unless the citizens of the state show up and, and tell legislators what they want. You know, and this is not just a job for the professionals, so to speak, in the pro-life movement. It's got to be everybody, day-to-day people in the pew. Everyone can write their 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 representatives, call their representatives, um, you know, be open about their pro-life position. Uh, it's the privilege of living in a democracy, and it's the responsibility of living in a democracy, as the church reminds us in our social teaching, that there is uh, an obligation to participate for the sake of the common good. And we, we do that um, by by advocating for pro-life laws and asking our representatives to um, put them into into practice. Yeah. Allison, same question. How do you uh, envision the pro-life movement in the Diocese of Worcester and in Massachusetts moving forward? Well, I think what Father Peter said was spot on. Um, I liked that idea of we have to become missionaries. That's I think that's very key. And um, I think we need to increase our efforts, um, encourage more people to become involved, to become even more fully invested in their faith and what that means to, to go forth and serve the Lord and serve especially women in need. Um, and to, to really think about ways, how do we build a culture of life? How do we get the truth out there? Um, you know, so that education in whatever form that may take is I think a very key piece of this because people just aren't hearing the truth the way that they, they should in many cases. And um, so from every angle uh, that we can look at it, whether it's in conversations with the neighbor over the backyard fence, you know, sometimes just, I think our Catholic people in the pew, the ones that we do have that are there, um, we need to equip them so that they can be evangelists and, you know, a coworker brings up an issue or has a question they know this is a, a, you know, a good person, a thoughtful person. They may confide in you, you know, mm-hmm. and then you have, if you are prepared for that, as Father Peter mentioned, the pro-life apologetics uh, to know why, what we believe and why we believe it so that we can explain it to others. And very often you'll hear, wow, I didn't know the church did that, or I didn't know that's what the Catholic church believed. And, and that can change hearts. It can help people in their need. So I think we have, there's a need for a focus on that as well. Yeah. I'd like to, before closing, I'd like to change gears and and ask you a couple of um, questions that are maybe a bit out of your, out of your, uh, out of your comfort zone. Um, But I'd like to get your take on them. So certainly the NCBC is primarily concerned with bioethics and, and healthcare-related issues. And, and one of the things that is coming out in the post-Dobbs world, so to speak, is the false claim that this decision will result in Catholic hospitals and clinicians not providing care to women who experience medical complications during pregnancy. It's, it's part of the fear-mongering of the abortion supporters. And I'm wondering if your diocese and, and Father Peter, we'll start. We'll start with you again. We're wondering if your diocese, first of all, have you heard this, um, and if so, how are you responding to this question of, oh my goodness, Catholic healthcare is not going to treat women with pregnancy complications? Father Peter, sure. Well, you know, I can respond as as a as a priest and as a moral theologian that you know. Um, well, I think we first have to acknowledge that this is this can be a legitimate concern for people, um, and we have to be clear that we are also concerned for the life of the mother. Right? Um, we're not playing one off against another, and even if cases of like this, where the mother's life is in danger, even if they're not the majority of cases, um, we know that cases like that will arise, um, and that do arise, and we need to show that we take them seriously. So. I think it's important to, if someone brings this up, um, to recognize it's a legitimate question. What do we do um, if the mother's health is at risk during pregnancy? And of course, the principle uh, as Catholics and the principle that is articulated in the ethical and religious directives for Catholic health care that are followed by Catholic um, hospitals in this country is that we treat both patients uh, to the greatest extent possible. You know, we are trying to save both the life of the mother and the life of the child. And we do everything we can to keep both of them 
healthy and alive. And then we have to be clear that the, the ethical and religious directives governing Catholic healthcare, the, the moral teaching and moral thought of the church does not forbid necessary life-saving treatment for the mother, even if there's foreseeable harm to the unborn child, even if that necessary treatment results in the foreseen death of the child, even though that's a, an undesired um, result. Um, people, I don't think everyone fully appreciates that, that the, the Catholic Church does very clearly um, permit necessary life-saving treatment, as long as that treatment is, is directed toward healing the illness um, that the mother is suffering from, and is not simply and directly targeting the unborn child. Um, and so, in, you know, the, the moral practice and the moral thought of the church um, allows for um, necessary life-saving treatments in, in, those, um, in those situations. And the church has thought this out and has practiced this principle um, of caring for both um, patients. Um, and so it is, uh, it, it, is uh, it allows Catholic uh, institutions to provide very high quality um, health care and to be very attentive um, to the needs uh, of the mother uh, without sacrificing um, the child. Yeah. It may be providential, but um, the NCBC, uh, one of my fellow ethicists and I, were, were working on a document right now that the, the working title is Medical Interventions During Pregnancy in Light of Dobbs. And it goes through exactly what you just said. And, you know, what does the church teach? And it's with our publications department. I'm hoping by the time this podcast is it airs. Now, we're recording on August 11th of 2022, but I'm hoping that by the time this podcast airs, this document will be available so I can put it in the show notes. But um, yeah, we've been in anticipation of the Dobbs decision coming out. We've been working on this and to, to answer these very, very questions. So yeah, Allison, um, anything to add to that? Well, I think Father Peter said that so beautifully. That's exactly it. We, as Catholic institutions, hospitals, Catholic practitioners, you're going to follow the ethical and religious directives. We're required to do that. And um, we serve both the mother and the baby. There are two lives here. And the medical professionals are going to do everything they can to help both. You know, And there were times when there were tough moral decisions. But I think a lot of people don't realize that in most cases, um, things can be done, you know, and, and Doctors have to be creative and, and, and realize this and have that knowledge so that they can really, um, you know, work at that when they're in those rare cases where there is a, a very difficult uh, situation going on. The other, the other piece of this, too, that, that we hear in the news about the issue of ectopic pregnancy, mm -hmm. and I think people don't realize that there are ethical ways to treat that. And so... I'm very glad to hear that you're putting out a document because that'll be a very effective teaching tool that we should distribute widely so that people really know what the church believes and that you can get through this. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And we do get a lot of, well, I don't want to say a lot. We get, we get a fair number of consults on questions of ectopic pregnancy and pregnancy complications as well, mm -hmm. too. So yeah, so hopefully it'll be helpful. Uh, before we get to our final words of wisdom, I, I have a fun question for you. So I, I, I mentioned just uh, a few minutes ago that we're recording this interview on August 11th of 2022, but both of you recently attended the USCCB Pro-Life Secretariat's annual meeting for diocesan pro-life leaders. And I'm just wondering if you could tell our audience a bit about that experience. Well, what is the meeting? What's it for? Um, what did you experience there? We'll start with Allison. Okay. Um, this is a conference that the USCCB Pro-Life Secretariat offers annually. They've been doing this for many, many years to diocesan pro-life directors. So um, it's an absolutely incredible experience every, every time. I mean, it's like you can't one tops the other. It's it's just such a, an opportunity for renewal. Um, we gained so much knowledge. They have wonderful speakers and things like that. And it's also like being on retreat because it's so prayerful and we're, we're grounded in prayer and celebration of the Eucharist and, and all that. And, um, and the opportunity for fellowship with um, colleagues who are involved in the same kind of ministry. And you learn so much from when you get together with people from all over the country and see how the church operates in different 
areas and you get creative ideas and see what, what everyone is doing. And it gives you so much encouragement and hope um, for, for the church and um, that, yeah, we can, we can be a part of this. We can help to build this culture of life. So it's the, the conference is a real shot in the arm in many, many ways. And um, this year in particular, um, focusing on our theme was life in the Eucharist. And again, I think I mentioned this earlier, but um, I think this is where things come together because when you talk about foundational beliefs as Catholics, you know, Christ present in the Eucharist, this is the most important thing. And the foundational belief in the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death, this is, this all goes hand in hand. So um, I'm excited about that opportunity and um, and I'm very grateful for the the fellowship, the knowledge, and the hope um, that was experienced at that conference recently. Awesome, Father Peter. Same question. Perspectives on the uh, the pro life uh, secretariat's annual meeting for diocesan pro life leaders. This is my first year attending the conference. It was great. I got to meet Allison as well as a number of other uh, <laughs> wonderful people. Um, and I agree. Just the the fellowship. Um, with other people involved in the pro-life movements within the church and hearing people's stories of how they got involved, the different paths that led them there, sometimes surprising paths, you know, people not maybe not imagining that they would have ended up in that kind of work, but being called there and having God kind of open the doors and, and open, open the way before them. So it's very encouraging to see what God does. I think there's a sense of, of smallness that we all have, you know, um, in the face of just a huge issue, um, but a, a sense of confidence because God really does do amazing things um, with regular people um, when we respond to that that call. Um, and so it's great. Yeah, it was great to to feel feel the support from the the pro life secretariat at the USCCB uh, to meet their great staff and to um, to hear from some great speakers. I really enjoyed Erica Bacciocci. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her last name, so apologies <laughs> if it isn't. <laughs> But uh, she was talking about pro-life feminism and the, uh, the pro-life heritage of, of the early feminists um, and her articles. I remember an article from a few years ago um, called Undoing the Equal Protection Argument for Abortion Rights, I believe was the title. Uh, it was something that definitely helped shape my thought. Um, so she's just, just one of the intellectual leaders in the movement who really are really helpful to, to, to those of us who are trying to do work and trying to learn how to think well and, and how to defend the pro-life position. So it's great to, to be exposed to her and to other speakers uh, to have that leadership and that formation as well. We always also have a you know wonderful presence of the bishops at this conference. And currently Archbishop Laurie of Baltimore is the, the chairman of the Bishop's Pro-Life Committee. And, uh, and he spoke to us and, and eloquent and powerful um, just so each year, you know, whoever the bishop's chairman is usually and, and other bishops that will sometimes come and uh, just to have that presence and know the support that is there within the church for this mission is uh, that's also a very, very much a gift. Yeah. yeah. How do I get there? I want to go next year. <laughs> I think you have an in. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll have to work that contact. Which yeah, yeah. <laughs> will, will remain anonymous <laughs> for right now, anyway. Um, final words of wisdom for our listeners, Allison. Wow. Okay. This is this is always a hard question. Um, I think we've shared so much today. Um, I think recognizing that we are in this spiritual battle and we see all the more clearly now post Dobbs this stark contrast between the culture of life and the culture of death um i think we've you know been surrounded by the the, the heartbreak of the wounds that abortion has caused and we want to spare people that heartbreak because we know you know i mean it's just you know how destructive this this whole issue of abortion is. And um, so I think, you know, recognizing that reality of what we're up against, recognizing that, as we talked about before, we're in a culture that largely does not know God. Um, oh, yeah. 
so we have we could easily be tempted to discouragement and despair but we can't let that happen because we also have to really put in the forefront that Christ has already won the victory you know we've got to remember that day in and day out and we're here to be his instruments so i guess in terms of words of wisdom i would um encourage listeners to really um focus on deepening their prayer life which i'm sure i'm sure our listeners do anyway but to really kind of i think about that and um you know work on discerning what is god calling you to do you know everybody's got a mission in life and um you know what is especially when we um are close to Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Um, what is God calling you to do to build a culture of life, to listen to the Holy Spirit? And there are so many opportunities. People can always, if they're feeling this call, they can contact their diocesan office and, you know, and have a conversation and we can, we can help them with that. Nobody has to act alone. You know, the church has a plan. Nobody has to reinvent the wheel um, when they get this inspiration. I, I want to do pro-life work, but I don't know what to do. Well, that's that's where we come in and we can we can help and we can say the church has a a plan that you can implement with you know the gifts God has given you. And and um so the church is here to help support this mission, to be witnesses, and um I would say, so the best, I guess, words of wisdom, if you can call it that, would be to listen to the voice of God very intentionally and, um, you know, let him work in you. Well stated. Father Peter, you get the last word. No pressure there. Oh, boy. (laughs) What words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? I would say get personally involved in the pro-life movement. Uh, Abortion won't end unless you get involved. Um, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Uh, and so find out what you can do. Help get Walking with Moms in Need started in your parish. Uh, get a group together and, and go pray at the abortion clinic in a peaceful, prayerful, law-abiding way. Start learning pro-life apologetics and start having conversations with people in your life about, uh, about that topic. Um, write your elected representatives. Ask them to pass pro-life laws and keep praying. Pray, pray, pray um, as we carry out all this work. And it is really important not to be afraid and to remember that we have the good news. We have the good news. We don't have to choose between the mother and the child. We can do better than abortion. Um, We can love them both, and we can build a hopeful pro-life future. Very good. Allison the Dew and Father Peter Asik, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Thanks, Joe. And thanks, Allison. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Father Peter. This was wonderful to be with you today. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them And if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.